Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. I'm Nick Argyris, and this week I'm looking for the best uh, play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shakespeare. Good. Shakespeare play, not book, right. as many of you nope. lit heads out there are probably not probably novels call or novels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for the best Shakespeare story uh, to help me. <laughs> two very qualified people. Uh, they're high school English teachers, Ian and Joe. Uh, you know, I always feel a little unqualified for this podcast, but I think like I feel especially unqualified today mm-hmm. going up against Ian because we are talking Shakespeare, of course. My name is Joe Holshue. I am a high school English teacher. I don't have like a PhD in Shakespeare. I'm not a dork. Uh, but today yeah. I'm very excited to be talking about Macbeth, a play that I read a long time ago and then I read again this week and which I really, really dig. Great. Cool. <laughs> Dig and plays. That's what we do here on the pod. Um, <clears throat> to pod or not ah, to cast. Damn it. That is the podcast. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry, that's the end of my prepared material. I'm Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm hey, maybe this podcast teacher. is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and today, Nick, if you're looking for the best Shakespeare story, I have a really good story. It's called The Winter's Tale. And it has so much of things in it, like a bear and a statue that comes to life. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely (laughs) enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. (laughs) Who who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. Nick, I would like to let you know that I have an English degree, um, and one of my classes, okay. I was required to read every Shakespeare play, right? Like it, was, it, was, it was a year-long class. That is a class. brutal class. We, yeah, it was brutal. We read a play a that week for like a semester, terrible. and then you, like we read the comedies one semester, and then we read the tragedies the next semester. And Nick, I have no recollection of A Winter's Tale. I don't think it's a real Shakespeare play. Uh, I don't oh. know. <laughs> okay. So just, I'm just, I'm tracking with you here, Joe, Our, is the claim that Ian has made up a play. <laughs> oh yeah, I think he maybe has written a play, and I think he's trying to like everyone. He read every it. once in a while. You see like art passed off, like like f- fabricated art where people are like, "This is a Michelangelo." Gotcha. I think Ian is about to give us a fake Shakespeare play. I've actually got a story. I've got a quick story about a guy who did that. Ugh, um, I bet. Here we go, up, everybody. Made up a whole Shakespeare. I, play. I know everything about Shakespeare. <laughs> this is such a fun story, though. <laughs> okay, this please is tell this us guy. Oh, we're having a blast. <laughs> <laughs> I need put your my cruelty, Joe. Um, there was a guy named William Henry Ireland who realized that there was a lot of money to be made. This is back in the late 1700s. He realized there was a lot of money to be made in Shakespeare. And so he started forging Shakespeare stuff. First, he was like forging yeah. like letters that Shakespeare Smart. had written. And then eventually he forged a whole play. Now, it's easier to forge a letter <laughs> because you can just like write some nonsense and then sign it William Shakespeare. But the play is hard because it's got to be like good drama mm-hmm. as well as like yeah. on old paper. I have a question about that play and also your made up play. Now, did you just make <laughs> up the play or did you fully write it out and then read it? And now you're going to perform that play. I wrote it in crayon and the next <laughs> four hours of this podcast Invisible are going to be me playing all the parts of the winter's tale. Follow up question. When you say a winter's tale, is it T-A-L-E like a story or is there some sort of actual tale like like appendage in this story? Well, the bear has a tail, but no. <laughs> Great question. Holy shit. Thank you. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jesus, I was going to say something stupid, but Joe beat me to it. <laughs> um, I'll be honest. I'm going to try. I um, I hear Shakespeare's a great guy, but I'm really going to try to derail this episode. So um, I have a game. <laughs> oh, I love it when Nick brings games. I have a game too. Too bad. But go ahead, Nick. <laughs> I knew you. somebody would bring a game, so I wanted to I beat you I also brought it. a game. <laughs> yes. Let's just play games. <laughs> Forget Shakespeare. Let's just do games. Um, okay. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Welcome, Litheads. Welcome, Ian and Joe. Um, <laughs> so one second. Have you guys named your games? Or no? Yeah. Can we just share the names of our games first? And that, and maybe maybe then we can decide which one we're going to play. Oh, we can play like a game to who should get decide to who to go first. How about to name or not to name, and then to name or not to name? Sure. Uh, mine is to beat or not to beat. Fact. 
<laughs> strange. Strange. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so go ahead, Ed. Sorry. No, no, go ahead, Joe. You're fine. So no, 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 uh, my game is based on the popular party game Taboo, in which you are not allowed to say the word on the page, like the word in front of you. And it is called, for my my play Macbeth, it is called Macboo, Macboo, which I think is a lot of fun. It's called Macboo twice. Mine is called Word Fact Shakespeare. Okay. The name needs some workshopping, but. Yeah, I don't think so, though. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm just going to go first. Um, right. Okay. I'm going to give you a word. Or possibly two or three words, and you're gonna tell me if it's from Shakespeare, if it's something in Shakespeare, um, or a variety of, of beet. Wait, a variety right. of beet? Oh, when you say beet, you mean like the the root vegetable? Yeah, that's right. It tastes like dirt. B e e t tastes like a mix of mushrooms and dirt. It, they grow on the ground, and you gotta roast them for eighteen hours. Yeah. Ready? We're yeah. No, no, hang on. Nick, are you Ian's, are you Ian's sure you want to advocate? Beets. Do you want to advocate for eating beets on this podcast? That's that's a bold stance. Um, I'm not taking that. A better stance. thing to do with beets is throw them right in the trash. Yeah, right off a bridge. A lot of good uses. Beets might just be clumps of dirt that come out of the ground that aren't like granular. <laughs> you know, how, like sometimes you dig, it's loose dirt, and you're, then other I think those are called like rocks. So beets are just a type of dirt, is what you're saying. A type of dirt, an orange, <laughs> red, reddish dirt. Strongly agree. Hey, hey, that might be the first it's thing we've possible. ever totally agreed on on this podcast. Is hey, hey, Lidheads, fuck beets. Am I right? The cast, the cast of you don't know Lid is united in their opposition to beets. <laughs> All right. Are you guys ready or not? Yeah. Oh, so okay. ready. Not beat talk. Well, this is a highly irregular episode. Um, <laughs> we're just way too upbeat. All right. Okay. <laughs> um, that's minus points. Um, All right. Are you ready for your first one? It is yes. red ball. Red ball. So wait, this is either a type of beat or a word that Shakespeare made up? No, it's something totally- from Shakespeare. It's totally oh, a beat. From it cannot be in Shakespeare. It's a beat. And obviously, a red ball? it's a beat. I think it also sounds like a beat. That's like the shape of a beat and the color of a beat. <laughs> shape and color of beat. <laughs> Nick's next option, dirt flavor. <laughs> this game's falling apart. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. You are right. Uh, that uh, easy, easy one to start off with. Of course, a red ball, as we all know, is not the shape of a beat, but a variety. Um, I hope next, next one is Juliet. <laughs> it is, it is sweet, tender, and has dark red flesh. Oh no. Um, so I think we learned a lot here. Let's keep going. Golden crown. Oh, this is hard. I, yeah. By hard, I mean just dreadful game design because it's <laughs> very clearly be either or both. <laughs> Is I'm sorry, are you disqualifying yourself or do you have an answer? I like to, I like Those to are your two options. Game. But so, so wait, so is the question, well, okay, so did Shakespeare <laughs> Look, is it a beat or is it from Shakespeare? How is there any questions left? <laughs> I think it's from Shakespeare. I feel Clearly like you there are golden crowns in Shakespeare. Yes, there are golden crowns in Shakespeare. Hmm. That is correct. Uh, <laughs> as <laughs> most, most made famous by, of course, King Lear's golden crown. Oh, Right. From the Obviously. play King Lear. Wait, from Shakespeare. King Lear grew beats? <laughs> no, this is not a beat variety, as you might be thinking. Are you guys, are you guys ready to move on? <laughs> yeah, the we're ready. We're, I think game. We're, <laughs> 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 All right. I think it's okay. Bull's blood. Bull's blood. Bull's blood. Now, this is that, that oh. mysterious third question where you've gotten both out of the way now. Mm. Now, which one is he going to land on? Okay, I I feel I want to go first because I feel like Ian might just know if it's a Shakespeare thing, but I feel like bull's blood is something that Shakespeare would use to describe like somebody with a hot temper, like like somebody like you would say like Tybalt has bull's blood in him. So I think it's a Shakespeare thing. Okay, one for Shakespeare. I'm going to say beat because bull's blood is probably red and beats are red. Mm. Yeah, that's some good logic there, Ian. It is a beat. (laughs) <laughs> yes. that's like the best beat marketing i've ever heard we're like hey beats really suck how could we hype them up a little bit wait it's called bull's nick, blood <laughs> nick are you in the pocket of big beat 
<laughs> this, this line of questioning is over. Um, no, of course not. Are you ready for your last clue? Slash yeah. question. All right. Ian's winning. It's three to two. <clears throat> Merlin. Correct. Merlin. Oh, that's got to be a type of beat. Like Shakespeare didn't invent Merlin. Like Merlin's way older than Shakespeare. Okay. So what? I'm sorry, Joe, was that beat or Shakespeare? <laughs> beat. The answer is beat. <laughs> okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And Ian, your guess? I hope you're not Googling right now. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm thinking. My brain isn't working very quickly. I'm going to say Shakespeare. All right. So this is, of course, the fourth question, making it, of course, the trick question. Uh, you are mm-hmm. both right and wrong. Um, the Birth of Merlin was a play and one of only two plays that he co-wrote, Shakespeare co-wrote. Uh, and, it, of course, it is, a, it is a beat as well. <laughs> the Merlin, the, the most yeah, famous. It's a beat, too. It's a beat, too. Each of us gets one point, and then each of us gets subtracted one point. There it is. That's right. I think we got a tie. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. You don't know Lit, um, a weekly uh, strongly literature podcast with idiots. And um, and uh, every week, a cold open right we uh, pick a theme and two books that um, we force into that theme. And we also have a couple show rules to just keep us uh, in line here. Um, rule number one, only unavoidable spoilers will be... Uh, shared on this show um through some very good editing and uh rule number two uh uh omit needless words joe that rules mostly Mm, for you and your farm stories and rule number three (laughs) is uh winning is uh everything what uh, what was the third one Uh wait are you sure that's the third rule uh winning Uh isn't everything it's the only thing wow this is what happens when nick just shoots off the cuff huh linhead you might not know this but nick obviously meticulously prepares for this show every week as you can tell from the beat story (laughs) and uh, from the beat game and he was not looking at his notes that literally took me minutes so i Mm. yeah as the art of war once said winning isn't everything it's the only thing vince lombardi Yep. Thank you. Um, Joe, do you want to go first and tell me about your book? Take 30 seconds. Yeah, absolutely. Nick Macbeth is about a dude, the Scottish dude. He's a lord. He's a general, and he receives a prophecy that one day he will be king. He's super pumped about it, and he is seized by ambition, and he basically murders his way to the top. It has a ton of cool stuff in it. It's got, like, witches and prophecies and regicide and, like, madness and ghosts and badass women. And the my favorite part about it is that, like, the whole play hinges on, like, a loophole or a technicality. Okay, that's fine. I was done. What did you done. say? Something side? Ge- ge- not genocide. What, what did you say? Side? Re- regicide. regicide. What is regicide? Wait. Oh, Ian knows what Regicide is. You're gonna have to wait until you're gonna have to wait until Joe's turn to find out, Nick. <laughs> is that it's when your tease. friend <laughs> Reggie won't leave your house? All right, <laughs> this, is, this is how we get you to choose our our, our book That's to go first. True. Is okay. say a word you don't yeah. know and then promise to define it in our. In uh, our Ian, time. your time has started. Everybody knows Shakespeare's biggest hits like Romeo and Juliet or Hamlet or Macbeth. This week, mm. I am stepping out of that comfort zone and recommending Whoa. one of Shakespeare's lesser-read works, The Winter's Tale. From shipwrecks to sheep shearing, from jealousy to jokery, with oracles and statues and mistaken identities and a big old bear, The Winter's Tale is that rarest of books, one which doesn't have a horribly depressing ending. Oh, see, I feel like some of those comments were levied directly at Macbeth. Yes. I feel, yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, I, said, I, I, I came after you this week, Joe. That is including nice. a Hobbit fact based on your book. Oh, based on Macbeth. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Nick. The ultimate like own. Are there that, hobbits in Joe's book? I want to hear about question. Joe's book because there might be hobbits in it, and also we're going to learn about a new oh way to God. kill people. So here's your hobbit yeah. fact. Okay. No, no, Macbeth no, kills all the hobbits. <sighs> okay. No, I have a question. Ian. So this is like totally against the decorum of this show, but I think I might know the hobbit fact that you are going to share. Hey man, like, hey, what man. if I beat you to the punch? Yeah, sounds like you should have just done care. it. Then we'll see what happens. Uh, all right. All right. So, Nick, um, a little bit about like what happens in Macbeth. I, you got it in the intro, but let me just talk about it here. Macbeth is a general. He is a minor lord, and he's like really good at his job. Like he's he he defeats an invading force pretty much single handedly, and then the king. A guy named Duncan is like, wow, we really like Macbeth. Like he's awesome. We should like 
promote him and give him some new lands and things like that. Okay. Wait, his name is Duncan? His name is Duncan. Why wasn't he yeah. on last week's episode? Yeah, or last week was basketball. When we did basketball. <laughs> oh, you guys are very funny. You brought this for the wrong week, Joe. I should have brought yeah, this for basketball one. week. I really, I actually um, really love the idea of bringing Macbeth for basketball week on the, on the sole so justification. On the, the name Duncan. <laughs> There's a guy named Duncan. <laughs> it's basketball. <laughs> That's almost as good as a connection as my beat game. <laughs> oh, um, okay, so what? Um, hey, Joe. Um, I've seen the movie with um, yep. that one guy who played a robot in that other movie. And so right. it that movie sucked. Um, yeah. And so does your play suck? Okay. <laughs> so I also watched that movie this week. I assume you're talking about the 2015 Michael Fassbender? Yeah, film? yeah, no. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also watched that movie this week. And I also thought it was like, I thought it was fine. Oh my I God, it, it was so self-indulgent. It was a indulgence, a really good word. Um, <laughs> oh my God. It was like, this scene is 20 minutes long of him just crying with a sword. It's just okay, the so, worst. So yeah, I sat down and watched that movie and I thought, man, Macbeth sucks way more than I thought it did. Okay. So then I went back in time to 2010 and I watched the Patrick Stewart version of Macbeth. And that version is awesome. That's so like, good. He um does is that the one where he aggressively cuts a sandwich for himself? Yes, he they, they aggressively do a few Interesting. things. I'd in like that. to dive into uh, this a little bit more. Can we discuss mm-hmm. the sandwich uh, scene in excruciating detail? No, I, I, Patrick Stewart has a great mustache in it. He does Let's start there. Really <laughs> Every um, good sandwich story starts with a good mustache. <laughs> <laughs> they also they do a lot of things violently in that one. Like they also violently dance at one. It's point. almost like it's a theme of the play or something. Mm-hmm. Violet mm-hmm. dancing. Hey, the Lidheads aren't here to talk about themes. They're here to talk about sandwiches. All right. So anyway, Nick, in Macbeth, um, Macbeth, Macbeth does a good job at being a general. The king wants to promote him and give him more lands. And just when that happens, three witches show up. What? And they tell Macbeth, yep, three witches. They tell Macbeth, Sweet. Macbeth, we got great news. You're going to be king someday. And Macbeth is like, that's fantastic. That is good. And then he starts, yeah, this is great. But the problem is, is there's already a king. And not only is there already a king, people really like the king. Like, and he's like, problem for the king. Big, well, problem for Macbeth too, as it turns out. (laughs) Uh oh. So, (laughs) so Macbeth does a lot of hemming and hawing and and goes and talks to his wife. And basically, I mean, you know where this is going. Uh, No, I don't. I don't know anything about this. Okay, well, this is where I define the word regicide for you. Regicide is when you, of course, kill a king. Uh, Macbeth murders Ah. the king. He murders him in his sleep, and Macbeth becomes the king of Scotland. What is it? Is this kind of like a thriller? Like, how does this read or play? Yeah, like, it's, I think it's action-packed. It's one of Shakespeare's shortest play. It might be his shortest play. Ian, is it his shortest play? It's Ian. not his shortest play. It's his shortest tragedy for sure. Yeah, it's it's and it's pretty short. Spoilers. It's like half the length of Hamlet. Um, and they speculate that one of the reasons that it's so short is because there would have to be so much time reserved on stage for like the bloodshed, like the fighting <laughs> and the killing. <laughs> so it's it's an action packed play. It's like when you read the script to um an action movie, and it's like there's not there's actually only like. 400 lines of, of script in a two hour movie. <laughs> it's it's like nine pages long. There's so much punching. <laughs> you got to make room for punching. Mm-hmm. Um, Ian, uh, Joe, what else did you like about this play? And then let's okay, move so- on to a game or something here. <laughs> <Fucking> hell. <laughs> okay. There's a whole bunch of stuff I like. Um, I think there's like, it's been almost eight minutes without a game guys. We gotta- <laughs> when are you going to wait okay. to bring these up? <laughs> All right. So here's the thing. I don't have time for both a game and like the thing that I really want to say about Macbeth. Oh, like the that's thing so annoying, Macbeth. Joe. <laughs> it is. So I'm going to talk about the coolest thing about Macbeth and then I'll like, paraphrase the game at the very so end. I'll just I'll make this least amount of fun as I can. <laughs> Fine. Cool. Let's let's play a game. Yay. 
We bullied him, Ian. In a way, we are like the Macbeth in this situation. I have a question for you. Have you guys played Taboo? Taboo is very simple. Essentially, there is a word in front of me that I cannot say. And in this case, what I've done is I've gone through um, Macbeth and I've chosen a ton of phrases or idioms that survive to this day. Okay, like they're words that we use all the time, not just words, but like phrases that we use all the time. Uh, They survive to this day, and I want to try to get you to guess them without giving you the word or phrase. So like I will describe what it is, and I want you to like, um, I want you to tell me like what the word or phrase is. So for example, if I said, oh, this is like a thing that witches famously say when they're like in like, um coming up with like an incantation and sitting over a cauldron. Like what do witches say? Honk, honk. Good. Brew, perfect. Honk, ha, honk. ha. Okay. Um, it's, it's, it's like, and then I would keep going. So I'd be like, no, 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 no. It's like, oh, okay. That's part of it. That's part of it. That's part of it. What comes before toil and trouble? Double, oil. double. Double, double. double. Like, the, like the kind trouble. of uh, burger you can get it in and out. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. A double, double, which is a Shakespearean reference uh, so like is that is double double toil and trouble which of course witches famously say anytime you see three witches depicted standing over a cauldron they start by saying double double toil and trouble joe are we playing already are we in the okay, game we're gonna start playing right now i want to set a timer um i have about two minutes left here can we just call that the timer two minutes and see and both of you by the way are allowed to guess during this game and we'll see Sweet. if we can rack up points rack them up okay i'm ready to square right. off against my opponent ian on Shakespeare. <laughs> I should warn you I've got memorized part of this play. <laughs> I should warn you I've performed right. this 18 times. <laughs> All right, let's do it, Joe. I've played every part. <laughs> okay, this is a really common type of joke that a kid might start. Knock, knock. It starts by like, okay, your mom. What, what do you respond to after you say knock, Who's knock? there? Okay, knock, knock, who's there? Appeared in Macbeth for the first time ever. Suck it, awesome. Ian. Dig. <laughs> All right. If you say something is like the last word, like if you have the last word of an argument, or if you have like, um, like if like LeBron James is like the basketball. pinnacle of a basketball player, you might call him the dunker blank all blank. Be all end all. Be all end all. Ding, ding. Nice job. Point for Ian. Um, If you do something, like say you have a bunch of tasks to do for one day and you like do them all at once, you might have a multitasking to do list and Blank, blank, blank. Three words. <laughs> blank, blank. Um, I, I always think of like chopping off somebody's head. Like you chop off somebody's head with the mallet. Blank, blank, blank. Short order. Okay, I'm going to move on. Um, <laughs> da, 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 this is, the, oh, Ian, you're going to have a bit. Um, this is, I think, the name of a William Faulkner novel. <laughs> Moby Dick. Good, oh, good stuff. Dang it, I know this. Oh. Ooh, this, okay. Feel like there needs There's a to sound be more of the fury. fury. Sound of the fury. Sound of the fury. Ding ding ding. How, there's a song how, from the, the 90s. <laughs> there's a song from the 90s um called A Semi Blank Kind of Life. What are we talking about? Baby, baby, I want something else. Okay. Pause. Um and last clue. What? Oh. I think it is it Sugar Ray? I think it is Sugar Ray. All right, last clue. Say you and your wife get into a big fight and she doesn't like something that you've done. She doesn't like something that you've done, but there's no way that you can go back and fix it. You might tell her, honey, I'm very sorry, but you can't unring that bell. Oh, that'd be amazing. No, though. And that is timer. Uh, The answer is the answer is what's done is done. What's done is done. What's done is done. So yeah, the ones that we got and didn't get were knock, knock, who's there appears in Macbeth for the first time in writing. What's done is done. Double, double, Troy, toil and trouble. Be all, end all you got. If you do something in like a single swipe, you accomplish it in one fell, one fell swoop. swoop. Oh, man. I got that one. Dang. One fell swoop. Um, the Sugar Ray song is semi-charmed kind of life. Is that right? It yep. sounds yeah. 100% correct. And here it is bear a charmed life. Uh, and then there were some others that I didn't get th- to like something wicked this way comes calling something a sorry sight. Um, and these are all from Macbeth or saying come what may. And all of these phrases not just are from Macbeth, but the first time they appear in writing 
possibly invented by William Shakespeare, although Ian will have to speak on that. Um, the first time they appear in writing is in Macbeth. Did you want to say something else, Joe, about your book? Are you familiar with the gunpowder plot? And before you answer that, have you seen V for Vendetta? (laughs) Remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. Uh, I was asking asking that. Uh, Yeah, she was talking to me. Um, I saw it in the theaters, so no, I can't. I don't remember any of it, if that's what you're going with this. So let me give you the spark note versions of this, which is just like as quick as I can make it. The year was 1905. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Queen Elizabeth, longtime British monarch, dies. Okay. This is you the quick She's dead. version, everybody. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Queen Elizabeth. Joe, you should probably fill us in. What is a yep. queen? <laughs> Who's Elizabeth? Okay. Is this your friend? Queen Elizabeth dies. There's a question of succession and her cousin, King James, becomes like who is currently the King of Scotland, becomes the King of England. Long story short, one year into King James' reign, there is an assassination attempt on his life. Not just an assassination attempt on his life, but an assassination attempt that basically would have killed every member of parliament. And what they did is a guy, uh, uh, this group of people in the in a plot called the Gunpowder plot um famously a guy named guy fox but like a whole bunch of other people too is they, this fiction none of them no, it's true. this is real okay keep going they went to the parliament building and they like filled the basement with kegs and kegs and kegs of gunpowder and then guy fox was just like waiting there with a the torch ready to set this off and they think it was enough um gunpowder as the government was going to the session that it would have literally obliterated the building like it would have just exploded the building. It was just a massive, massive amount. No, this feels familiar. All right, keep okay. going. Is yep. it, was it January 6th? Keep going. It was, it was November 5th. <laughs> no! Uh, <laughs> Topical. Topical. Ooh. <laughs> Left field. All right. The plot is foiled, and King James want these people like help, wants these people like held to task, like brought, brought to task, right? Here's one of the problems. It seems like William Shakespeare, popular playwright, very well might have known like like known that the gunpowder plot was going to happen a friend of his father was very closely involved like a close family friend so shakespeare says oh shit i need to show king james that like i'm cool with him and i am not like a treasonous um parliament no yeah no gooder so the next year he wrote macbeth And Macbeth is, in a ton of ways, like, perfectly crafted for King James. It's almost like, like, I don't want to say a love letter to King James. That's certainly too strong. But, like, there's all sorts of cool coincidences. uh, A friends with benefits um, letter. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it's basically, like, Macbeth is basically this play that says, Hey, King James. Hey, King James. You know how you think I might have been trying to kill you? Well, I wasn't because check out Macbeth. Look at this play. Look at this play. I think you're great. So I just want to give you some quick examples of things that appeared in Macbeth that King James would have loved or would have been directly connected to King James. King James loved witches, like loved witches. He even wrote a book about like how to deal with witches. Spoiler alert. I'm sorry, what? Burn them. Not only, (laughs) he didn't just love witches. He like kind of popularized like the way that witches are portrayed in Shakespeare. So like the when King? Shakespeare puts those with King James. What? <laughs> Boy. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like he was using his time and power to really benefit the people, huh? I'm going to write around witches this week. <laughs> so he had some yeah, priorities. So like, <laughs> yeah, some real priorities. Uh, I'm a nonfiction writer, also King. <laughs> <laughs> when Macbeth hears that prophecy from the witches he's not alone he has his friend with him his friend named banquo okay and basically the witches say to Macbeth, hey Macbeth, you will be king of like you will be king and Macbeth is like awesome and banquo's standing there and he's like hey do, do i get anything like 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 what about me and the witches say to him don't worry don't worry you won't be king but your kids will be but King James is a direct descendant of the character that Banquo is based on. Like the real life person that Banquo is based on 
is like King James, like great, 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 great grandfather. So when Shakespeare says like, there's all these questions of legitimacy around King James, and then Shakespeare puts in his play, Hey Macbeth, you're going to be King Banquo. Don't worry about it. Your grandchildren will be like your sons will be. He's referring to sons and their sons. He's like straight up referring to King James. I thought that was awesome. Isn't that cool? It's pretty cool. Well, first, um, I just want to say thank you to Cassidy Cash for joining us. Um, Cassidy uh, reached out to me a couple of years ago to uh, to be a guest on on her podcast, um, that Shakespeare Life. And Cassidy is kind of a force in the in the world of Shakespeare podcasting. So uh, we're we're very very uh, fortunate to have her with us today. Uh, Cassidy, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Cassidy, I wonder if you could talk first. So you've you've been doing that Shakespeare Life uh, for uh, a, a while now, and I wondered kind of what drew you to podcasting. What drew you to podcasting about Shakespeare in the first place? Podcasting was an accident. Shakespeare history <laughs> was something that I fell into. Uh, the first time I picked up a copy of Romeo and Juliet, I found it on a bookcase that belonged to my great grandmother, and I didn't have this. No one told me it was a play. Like, I thought this was a book. And I picked it up and read it, and I thought it was awesome. Um, the lines were short, and they rhymed. It was easy to read. Um, and I was like, this is fantastic. So I wanted to know who wrote this. And I, and I remember asking my mom, hey, look, I've read this thing. It's awesome. Who is this guy? Did he write more stuff? I was, I was still in school. And she was like, well, that would be William Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and so I just wanted to know more about him. The The podcast came about when I was getting my master's degree. We were challenged to put together a project. And at first I thought it was going to be a blog about Shakespeare history. And I had someone come to me and say, you are horrible when you write things down. Please don't do this. <laughs> and I was like, well, fine. So they, uh, they were like, no, you need to talk to people. You're, you're great on, on camera and on audio, but please don't write things anymore. So... <laughs> So that's that's where the podcast was born. That feels like such a different way to pitch it, right? Versus right, like yeah. like one thing you could say to somebody is you're terrible at this. The other thing you could say is, hey, you're great face to face. How about you talk to people? It was nice that they followed it up with that, I have to say. <laughs> You've had years now of talking to Shakespeare experts about the history around Shakespeare and Shakespeare's life. What's like the the, the most fascinating or weirdest thing that you've learned in the course of your I mean, because you've been learning, right? This is this has been a multi-year oh, learning project for you. It is. Yeah. And that was kind of the impetus for let's do an interview based podcast was, you know, if I could think of the one thing that I would be thrilled to get up and do every day, it was absolutely to, you know, fix my my cup of, of tea and sit down and talk with somebody that knows a ton about Shakespeare and just absorb what they know. And it's wild what you find out. Um, recently, we talked with a guy who told us that it was a thing in Shakespeare's lifetime to put mummified cats in the walls of your house because it w it warded off spirits. Yeah, and I wouldn't have right? I wouldn't have thought of that. <laughs> right? You know, you're like, is this a thing? And it is. And so we we built a whole episode around what other weird things do people put in their house, and it and it's Crazy real and it's. It's wild. There's a whole list of just, I'm sorry, come again that that comes up on our show all the time. <laughs> yeah, when when I when I build when I build, I'm gonna make sure I put the the mummified cats in the. Right. Yeah, you can buy those on Amazon. Absolutely, cats. to be authentic Tudor home, you must. Yeah. I prefer to make my own mummified cats. Oh uh, no, I'm kind of uh, like an, you know, it's very organic. It's I mean, organic. maybe you guys just get yours off the shelf, but I prefer. To make <laughs> yeah. I, I get all mine at the farm. You know, I, I feel like this oh, is no. where, I should, where I should tell a farm story about coming across a mummified cat, but we don't need to subject oh, Cassidy dear. to that. Thank <laughs> no, you. <laughs> the sequel. I, I wonder if if you could give us your impressions on sort of the, that that big question: you know, is is Shakespeare essential, and, and why why does he keep coming up? Why do people keep coming back to Shakespeare? Why? For better or for worse, is he so continually relevant in modern culture? My favorite answer to this question is to do a horrible impression of Peter Falk from The Princess Bride and, and point out that Shakespeare's stories are full of chases, escapes, sword fights, monsters, magic, <laughs> true love, miracles. 
you know, it's the whole gambit of what we love about fantasy stories, theater and performance. And he was masterful at telling an excellent story that captivates your imagination. So I, I think it's really hard to get tired of something like that. Yeah, that's a great answer. That feels like that's like in the back pocket. Like you get asked that one all the time. All yeah. the- <laughs> <laughs> hey, so I've got a question for you. I was doing the New York Times crossword puzzle this morning, and one of the clues was a three-word alliterative Shakespeare title. I couldn't come up with it. Three Love's words. Labor's lost. Oh my mm-hmm. god! All right, oh, I think that's Joe, that'll so unlock- obvious. It'll unlock <laughs> that whole top box. You had me scared there for a second. I was like, "Oh no, I'm not going to know this." But yeah. <laughs> way to put her on the spot, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so we've actually discussed like different interview formats, and one of the things we've discussed is when we have guests on, we should just like just drill them with hard questions. <laughs> with, with New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> oh, you think you 42 know? Forty-two down. <laughs> Eighteen letters. Go. All right. So, so okay. love's labor lost. That unlocks the whole top top box for me. I, I particularly like the idea of bringing experts on this show <laughs> and just asking them for uh, their expertise for crossword puzzle clues. That's um, <laughs> seems like a just a huge. Just a huge That's all we need you for time. today, Cassidy. Uh, thank you so yeah. much. We just need help here. figuring that one up. Enjoy yeah. your time. Yep. <laughs> um, in our, in our Shakespeare episode, I'm talking. My, the the play I'm bringing is The Winter's Tale, which famously has uh a bear in it. Um, And there are other examples of um, kind of interesting or funky dramaturgical onstage um, costuming or props or even set design moments. Um, Joe brought up uh, the donkey's head uh, in, in Midsummer Night's Dream. Um, So how, how would these have been done on stage in Shakespeare's time? Like, well, they, they couldn't do CGI. Um, were they really, really good paper mache? Like what, how do they, how do they make these funky costumes or or set pieces work? This one's really an exciting one. The bear from A Winter's Tale. It depends on who you ask, but there's evidence to suggest it was actually a real bear. Um, yeah, what, what (laughs) happens in, in 1595, there was a guy named William Barents who was exploring north of Russia and he wrote (laughs) in his diary. No, there's a story. Stay with me. This is this is cool. <laughs> he wrote it down saying that there was this bear that chased this man and, quote, bit his head in sunder and sucked out his blood. The rest of the crew takes off running and the bear chases them, grabbing the second victim and, quote, tear into pieces. Now, this story was written down and published in English in 1609, the same year that William Shakespeare wrote A Winter's Tale, including Exit Pursued by a Bear. And it's also the same year that Jonas Poole returned to England to give to King James a pair of polar bear cubs that William Philip Henslow was in charge of. So they're in there. The guy who is keeping Henslow's diary and writing down all the props for the theater and and stuff, he is also the master of the bears for the King of England. It's kind of hard to imagine he wouldn't have monetized that opportunity by being like, (laughs) let me show you something, you know, and. (laughs) And parading them out across the stage. So there is some evidence to suggest the bear in A Winter's Tale was actually a live bear. Um, if it wasn't a live bear, his theater historians suggest it was probably a guy dressed up like a bear. I, I will Either say, Cassidy, of out, of, out of all of the answers I was expecting to that question, an actual bear was really low on the list. <laughs> I'm sorry. His name was Barents. I. It almost sounds <laughs> and like that's how they named bears. Nick. It was either it was either um, real bears or somebody is telling tall tales. Uh, it sounds like somebody made that up. Like, um, yeah, it's a bear. His name is Mr. Barents, and uh, he oh, was in I Russia. True, true to our show. I have source material I can put behind this. It's, it's oh, a real guy. That's See, awesome. that's what makes your show probably much more uh, better than ours. <laughs> Scholarly, at least. We, we, yeah, we don't show source material on our claims. <laughs> Fact checking. Uh, you mentioned uh, the title Master of Bears. That sounds like a great job. What 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 did the Master of Do you know what the Master of Bears did? Yeah. Like, what goes into that? <laughs> Yes. Um, in around 1611, Philip Henslow and Edward Allen were 
they received a royal warrant from King James to be in charge of the various bears, bulls, and mastiffs that were in the king's care. Some of these were animals that he had himself for hunting or for bear baiting or other sports the king was into. Other times it was animals like what Poole brought back to England, where it's like a foreign dignitary or one of the ambassadors would bring it back and say, hey, here's this gift. You know, that that's how the Tower of London actually came about is they had to put these exotic animals somewhere. And so, like, that's why you ended up having a zoo in the Tower of London at one point. It's not there now. Man. But it should be. <laughs> it would be awesome. But, yeah, so but King James loved blood sports and animal sports. And so he, he kept a zoo inside the Tower of London for this per- purpose. And as shareholders in the Fortune Theater and investors in Bear Garden, which was – a place for these kinds of sports. Henslow and Alain had kind of their own zoo and, you know, the young bears could have been useful in the playhouses as well as the bear baiting rings. But, but he was, he was in charge of managing those animals and overseeing those sports for the king. I just want to, uh, call out to any new listeners that we don't typically just talk about bears, <laughs> but this might be slowly turning into a bear cast, which I'm not, I'm not against it. Yeah, I'm not? not against it. It's, it's completely fine. Bears are great. You're interested um, in Shakespeare now, right though? That was the challenge. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Let's 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 leave bears behind for a second, though they might okay. they might follow us. How how much how how do you feel Shakespeare has kind of affected our perception of history? So uh, this is a question that that Joe posed. Um, Richard the Third was he an actual coward? Was he a victim of libel? Face value accusation there with this question is often to accuse Shakespeare of misrepresenting the past and causing centuries of students everywhere to run astray with what they believe about English kings. But in my opinion, what Shakespeare really does for our perception of history is give us a slice of what was going on in the 16th century. Shakespeare does commit anachronisms, but rather than being failures of his history plays, they're nuggets of information reminding us he was never intending to write a history, but instead to tell a story that was directed very pointedly at his contemporary audience. And if you'll indulge me, I'll give you an example. Yes. Yeah. Yes. When young Elizabeth I was just a girl, her father, Henry VIII, was given a gift of a large 160-pound gun called a basilisk, capable of firing destructively at the enemy. It was given to Henry VIII as a gift for Elizabeth and would go on to become known as Elizabeth's pocket pistol when she would use it against the Spanish Armada in 1588. <laughs> Just 10 years later, in 1599, Shakespeare invokes this military reputation of the basilisk in Henry V when Queen Isabel says, quote, against the French that met them in their bent, the fatal balls of murdering basilisks, the venom of such looks we fairly hope have lost their quality and that this day shall change all griefs and quarrels into love. That's Act 5, Scene 2. Shakespeare's applying a double meaning there, firstly alluding to the ammunition, then metaphorically implying that the ammunition kills with just a look to add to, like, the ferociousness of what she's saying. It is an example of an anachronism because the weapon didn't exist until 1544. So it was a famous weapon for William Shakespeare and a nod to Queen Elizabeth for the bard to use it in his play. But Henry V wouldn't have known anything about it. Huh. That's just one example when evaluating what Shakespeare brings to our perception of history. But I think it's important to distinguish that Shakespeare's plays are representations of history. There are these time capsules of information about Elizabethan England that when we look at the 16th century, his plays should inform our perception of that past. <laughs> so he's Cassidy. not Quentin Tarantino. He's it's it tends to be closer to the truth is what you're saying. Of like historically accurate. Yes, his his it's very, very contemporary to what the 16th century was thinking and their perspectives on things like they were hugely patriotic about Henry V, for example. That's one reason that play is so over the top. Yay, England is because that's what was going on at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled. This is, this is really good. The, the time capsule is really, really fascinating. What what are some of your favorite uh, adaptations or interpretations of Shakespeare over the years? Well, since we've had James Cameron and Tarantino here references mm-hmm. on the show, um, this is going to be a little left field. But my favorite in, uh, interpretation of Shakespeare is actually McClintock. It's a Western with John Wayne oh. and Maureen O'Hara, and it's an interpretation of Taming of the Shrew. And if you're huh. going to watch just one, 
that would be the one I would recommend. But North by Northwest is also considered to be Hitchcock's take on Hamlet. So it would be another one huh. to check out. I've never heard that. That's fascinating. Really cool. yeah. That's amazing. I guess you said you started with uh, Romeo and Juliet. Is there a good place to start with Shakespeare? Because, frankly, it's pretty overwhelming and it's hard to read. <laughs> and it, it is. All of those other reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the best place to start with Shakespeare is in the theater. I wouldn't read it first at all um, mm. because it is it is hard to read. It's an older language and it includes all of these history things that are not necessarily relevant to us today. Like I had to look up what is Malmsey. So George gets drowned in a butt of Malmsey. What is a butt of Malmsey? You know, <laughs> if you're just reading that, you're you're lost as a goose. That's and, torture. And, yeah. And when you're in the theater, you've got the props and you've got the actors, you've got the lights and the cues, and it, it all makes more sense. So if you, the best place to start with Shakespeare is to see a play in the theater. OK, this reminds me of um, Hamilton because my wife had seen Hamilton before I did. And so she always used to play the soundtrack and I didn't get that at all. And then I finally <laughs> saw Hamlet or Hamilton and it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of got to see it. You know, you for that, that yep. whole story to even jive and make sense with the, the music. All right. Here's my other question. Um, I don't know anything about this beyond Ian and Joe passively just mentioning it on one episode. Uh, was Shakespeare a real person? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> is this a stupid question? I don't know. Well, this is what people call No, it. it's not a stupid question. And what? yes, he was. There's a whole field of study um, into people who who want to make the case that that Shakespeare was, you know, a pseudonym or that it it was some kind of Multiple made up people. thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I mean, I disagree with I don't, I don't think it's an unhealthy question at all. Obviously, I think it's a good it's always good to say, do I really know what I think I know and look into that? When I look at the evidence of it, though, um, it, it just doesn't hold water for me. There's a lot of biographical information on William Shakespeare and um, there's a lot of, of people who talk about William Shakespeare. T to me, the evidence is there to suggest he was who he said he was and he was a real guy who wrote these real plays that are still famous today. So. <laughs> That's See, a, that's I don't a, even know enough to know if that's like an insulting question. <laughs> no, that's, that's a really good answer. Because Great answer. When, when, when Shakespeare scholars come up against that question, there's always this little pause before they start answering. It's like, like I have no time with the Shakespeare. Is he real? <laughs> I blame Ian oh. and Joe for that question, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, I, Cassidy... Uh, Thank you so much for, for being with us. Could you could you tell us uh, where we can find more uh, of your uh, brilliant um, and engaging uh, scholarly and podcasting type of work? Yes. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, you can follow us every Monday on That Shakespeare Life. We dive into, as Nick says, time capsules of Shakespeare history every week, taking a look at these little slices. So you can follow the show. We also have activity kits and history guides that let you take some of these things that we talk about and try them out for yourself. That's available inside our members area. And I've actually put together a list of the instructions for a card game called Naughty that comes from Shakespeare's Two Gentlemen of Verona. And yes. the instructions for how to play it are free just for you guys that you don't know lit at castycash.com slash you don't know lit. So that would be the best place to start to get your freebies, but then you can find out all about us and the show at castycash.com. We're going to play Naughty this weekend. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> Nick, Nick, you like that name way too much. I'm shutting you down. Uh, well, thank you so much for uh, for joining us today, Cassidy. We really appreciate your time. And um, uh, folks, go and check out Cassidy's, uh, Cassidy's podcast. It's uh, really, really uh, uh, accessible, um, but she's got some really high-powered experts on there. Um, she had she had a night on a while back to talk about sonnets, Sir Stanley Wells, um, and Stanley is is a, just a, a an incredible force of nature. So, um, uh, thank you, Cassidy, for being here, and uh, thanks, I guess, to my co-hosts for your enthusiastic yeah. participation. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thanks, this is a this has been a lot of fun I've had on a podcast in a while. This is great. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Good. Thanks, thanks Cassidy. Bye bye. Do any of you know why we're doing Shakespeare today? <laughs> I do.
Um, okay. Is it because Why? it's his birthday and the day he died at the same time? Well, no, it's the nineteenth, and and we he did not he did not die on the nineteenth. We don't know that he died. He was born on the nineteenth. So whatever, uh, Ian. Uh, Ian, Ian. How about you tell Ian, us Ian, why yeah. we're doing? Oh, okay. she fell into your trap, Ian. This is the Monday closest to the day that he died. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. We only release on Mondays. That's why we're releasing this today. I hope all authors die on Mondays. <laughs> <laughs> Today's the 19th, Joe. And um, Nick, I think uh, there's probably like one year where they all <laughs> line up. <laughs> and we just have to hit that year. It's like an infinite amount of chimpanzees and an infinite amount of typewriters. We will hit that year. That's exactly how that works. Or is it orangutans? Ian, what's your book about? Okay. So my play, much like Joe's... What's your novel about? Your novella? My novella? (laughs) My novella, much like Joe's, has a king in it. Mm. Okay, check. So there's a connection already. Copycat. Yeah. (laughs) Shakespeare, Shakespeare didn't do many plays... Hmm. That didn't have, especially like serious plays that didn't have kings. I'm sensing some some plagiarism yeah. between these two authors. Oh, Interesting. Dude, you want to get into plagiarism? Shakespeare basically borrowed all of his plots from previous stuff. Like there are maybe two, three plays that we think he came up with the story for whole cloth. Many of his plays. Um, he, Are you using the word borrow like white people use it? <laughs> no, I'm borrow. using the word borrow like. Would, would we use the word appropriate? I'm using today? the word borrow like, you know, all those incessant movies in like the 20, the, the two, late 2000s and the 2010s that were like a new gritty take on the tale of Robin Hood, Ugh. a new gritty take. On the tail, like he of kept Cinderella. rebooting the franchise. Yeah. like he rebooted the franchise. Yeah, he's rebooting grittier, usually. Yeah, that's what's Batman. happening. Man, <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm say, sorry, so what, start what by you play you the about? story. Yeah, let's, I'm tell you let's the story. Get this plot okay? out of the way. Yeah, I get the plot out of the way. All right, so we got to start with the king. There is a king. Okay, and the king has a friend, and the king has a wife. Now the wife is pregnant, and the king gets Great. in his head that. He, the king, is not the father, but in fact, the friend and the wife are having an affair, and the baby is the uh, product of that affair. So he gets Mm. really, really jealous. He kind of persuades himself this is the case, and he plots to kill the friend, and he tries to put the wife in prison. Uh, Then the gods tell him that, and the whole world, like there's this trial scene, and the gods tell everyone, no, 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 she's innocent, but he says, the gods are wrong, she's definitely guilty, and he keeps trying to prove her guilt. And she collapses and she gives birth. And the king, who is still angry, says, I'm going to light the baby on fire. Because oh, double bad. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it is a bad take. Uh, she, the baby, in his mind, is a product of adultery. So he says, mm-hmm. I'm going to burn it. But then the, he's persuaded to ship it off to a deserted coastline. Oh, that's um, nice. It's better. Yeah, sure. much better than yeah. burning it. Uh, there's the some hijinks. The ship is shipwrecked. A bear uh, <laughs> gets the guy who's supposed to drop <laughs> the baby off. What's it now? I said, don't forget to pack a towel. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good gag. Good, good one. Yeah. Nice job. Um, so the guy who is supposed to drop the baby off and then leave uh, gets eaten by a bear. And there are two shepherds who find the baby. And then we get uh, something kind of rare in Shakespeare, which is a time jump. We fast mm, forward okay. 16 years and the baby is now a teenager. She's in love with the son of the friend. So the friend from before, um, she's in love with with that friend's son. Uh, there's a lot of like rustic tomfoolery. They're shepherds, and so they have dances and a lot of rustic kind of redneck type jokes. How much of this jokes. are you spoiling right now? Um, not much. Are not you much, sure? Because really. it seems yeah. like you spoiled like the first seventy five percent of the book. I'm cutting. No, this is like prologue. This is like the this is like the prologue to like Disney's Hercules that he's talked about so far. And this it's is like page the one. Baby, correct? the gods yeah. got rid of it. Yes, <laughs> I'm cutting out the I'm cutting out the really juicy stuff. So okay. um, so the lit heads can stuff. enjoy lots of juicy pieces if they lots read of juicy it. pieces. Um, okay. the they there's this a lot a lot of rustic tomfoolery. There are problems in the relationship. There's some mistaken identity. We discover that the mm. king is, in fact, sorry for being such a jerk for so long. Oh. There are hidden identities that are revealed. Tale of redemption. Reunions, reconciliations. And then one of the queen's attendants, remember the queen who collapsed and hasn't been seen mm-hmm. since? She rolls mm-hmm. up and she says, hey, who wants to see an extremely realistic statue of the queen that I have been working on for the last 16 years? Holy shit. And then do they see it? <laughs> and that's where I'll leave it. 
I'm not going to spoil it. That Nick. that's where you're ending it. Yeah, <laughs> that was the least least uh, interesting part of everything that you just said. Is the statue? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ian. This feels so. So I'm no Shakespearean, but I've read some Shakespeare. Yep. This feels like All a really Shakespeare, weird huh? Shakespeare play. Is this Shakespeare play really weird? Um, is this weird, Ian? Like, is it weird for a Shakespeare play? Like, you talked about the time jump, but like, for example, at one point, they also consult the gods, uh-huh. which isn't a thing that I ever, like, I don't remember a Shakespeare play with more than one god, for example. Right. Is Merlin in your play? Merlin mm-hmm. is not. Unfortunately, that would have made this play even more amazing than it currently is. Yeah. But it feels, no. it feels like a fable. Like, it feels like this is a fable. Yeah, see, it feels like there's about to be an overt lesson, is what Joe is saying. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. thing. There's not really an overt lesson, except for maybe like, don't be jealous of your obviously your wife, who is obviously not cheating on you. Don't be jealous of her. Oh, mm-hmm. so, so it's like a rom com. <laughs> it's really. Are you so bringing talking, a Shakespearean rom com for us? We're talking a lot here about <laughs> genre. Okay, and yeah. some Shakespeare plays are very clear on their genre. So there are some Shakespeare plays which are tragedies, tragedies yep, like and badly. Like the the main character has a fall because of his own doing, and then realizes it. And there are some Shakespeare plays which are comedies, which are funny, but they're also happy endings. Usually there is a an obstacle, and the lovers overcome the obstacle. There are history plays which are what it sounds like on the tin. And then you have a, th- a fourth genre, which has been called romance or tragic comedy. They say like tragic comedy or tragic comedy. It's all one word. So you know how the, uh, the, the wise people at Warner Brothers decide you yes. could take the word drama and mash it into mm. the word comedy and make yeah. a word yeah. called dramedy? This Gross. is like that, but mm. with tragic and comedy put together. So in a tragic comedy... You start off with some tragedy, hmm. and then you end it's up a light. with a it's comedy. A, it's a mashup. It's a mashup. Gotcha. That feels that feels rude. Like it feels like, oh, hey guys, it's going to be a fun little play. No, um, no, and no. by the way, after Act Two, uh, everybody is going to die. No, it's like Chef Shakespeare. He's going to take a little a dash of comedy and a a, a sprig of um, rosemary, and then make a play. Double, double, toil and trouble. Do you remember yeah. Million Dollar Baby with Hilary Swank? That's kind of how that's built. Like okay. for the first like 25% of that movie, it's like this prize fighting movie. And then for the last 75% of the movie, it's like a woman <laughs> that can't dark. get out of bed. <laughs> <laughs> it starts off dark and then it ends it's, up happy. It's it, like opposite of Romeo and Juliet. Kind of, right. Yeah, yeah. Th- that's a good, that's a good likeness. It's, it begins with this really like psychologically powerful picture of jealousy and how like we can convince ourselves of anything and the lengths we'll go to to like persuade ourselves that we're right. And then after the bear eats the man, there's like this sharp <laughs> right turn into rustic hijinks, rustic tomfoolery, like yeah. jokes, jokes and songs and and like happy reunions and stuff. Ian, what do you like about this play? Um, okay, so I, I do think it works. The mixing of, of genres does, I think, work in this play. Um, it takes you to a really, really dark place. When a when a father is threatening to burn his newly born baby, like that's about as dark as you can it's go. About, it's about as dark as yeah. It I gets. mean, like maybe if he was threatening to burn a puppy, that would be worse. But yes, well, I don't know. <laughs> um. Hey, so, hey, Nick, new new, uh, new word for you, Nick. Yeah. Infanticide. Infanticide. <laughs> uh yes. But he doesn't, right? So he doesn't, he does not kill the people he wants to kill. And the play kind of has this, like, it starts off on a pretty happy note. It goes into the depths and then it ends up on a really beautiful, like, I've read a lot of Shakespeare. This is one of the few that I will still tear up as I read the conclusion. The poetry and the narrative is so beautiful and happy and sweet and hopeful that it, it's just, it's a delight. It is a real delight to um, to read. So I think, I think that the mixing of genres can not work, but I think it does work here.
I'm going to take uh, Cassidy's advice and I am going to not read either of these, but watch um, uh, the Picard play. I'm sorry, the Jean-Luc Picard play that uh, yeah, Joe mentioned? Jean-Luc, Jean-Luc Picardi. Um, yeah. With Patrick Stewart. You could also understudy. watch Breaking Bad or um, House of Cards. Oh my goodness, I hate it when people do this. this. Yeah, I hate yeah. that. It's <laughs> you so can watch anything oh. that's ever existed ever because it was based on Shakespeare. No, no, no. Breaking Bad or people, House of Cards, I People said. told me when I was doing when I was doing my Shakespeare uh, undergrad stuff, people were yeah. like, oh man, have you ever seen The Lion King? You should watch The Lion King. It's like so Shakespearean. Oh, right. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I'll see this movie. I'll see this, this <laughs> film. Can I tell you, Nick, I, I hear you're wrapping up. So I want to tell you one other reason I like this play. All right. Um, a lot of times people talk about Shakespeare as like expressing the human condition. And this play, yes, like they say it like that. I, I think this play actually kind of does get at something human. So it's got a lot of imaginative stuff. It's just like a lot of plot, a lot of action. But there's also this character of the king who very early on, there's a little thing that he sees and he misinterprets. He sees his wife and his friend talking and he's like, huh, that's weird. And then basically from there, he spins this whole web of jealousy and he persuades himself that these two are having an affair. He has clear, like the play does not make it ambiguous. The play like clarifies there is no reason for this king to suspect his wife. But he, the play so like well illustrates this paranoia that it's like real life. And there's this amazing speech where the king is like getting riled up. He's got these suspicions and he's on stage alone. He's starting to monologue like Shakespeare characters often do. And he's like, this is like when you're drinking out of a cup and you see a spider in it. And if you don't know there's a spider, you're fine. But if you know it's there, <laughs> you vomit. And he says, there, there may be in the cup a spider steeped and one may drink, depart and yet partake no venom for his knowledge is not infected. But if one present the abhorred ingredient, that's the spider to his eye, make known how he hath drunk. He cracks his gorge, his sides with violent hefts. And then there's, there's the punchline of the speech. I have drunk and seen the spider. He's like, that's great. That's I, pretty good. That's oh pretty goodness. great. Man, yeah. this Shakespeare I feel like- guy can write, huh? <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Holy good stuff. cow. That's awesome. I that's, feel like I awesome. have seen the spider should be like part of our common parlance. Like, I feel like we should still be saying I've seen the spider. Yeah, right. Like, oh, it's I such a, it. he, this is not one of those really long images. He's just like, hey, you know how like when you don't realize there's something gross, it's fine. But when you see it, you're grossed out. It's the way I have drunk. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Like it's like now we say, I see how the sausage is made, but I've seen the spider is, is way better than that. Like it's way more elegant. Exact one-to-one meaning there. Yeah. It's it's maybe not perfect. (laughs) Joe just wants to tell farm stories. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ian, that was incredible, but you still lose. Okay. Well, I, I I was able to sneak a quote in, so I'm happy. Hey, litheads, listen, Uh, we we have drunk and we have seen the spider and the spider yeah. is the spider verse it's, it's into the spider verse yep it's a that great a film go check it there. out that's what we're saying yep. today just go go look at that film i don't think it's Please. still on netflix um, the theaters are opening back up again go see the spider verse everybody you could also go over and to get- our website you don't know lit podcast.com and submit a book or a theme as you can tell with shakespeare we're really scraping the bottom of the barrel so um, mm-hmm. we would love to, we're almost out to of have literature. a new, a new good theme next strong. I hate you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick, I've got a quote. It's probably, it's probably not going to be as good as Ian's. Cause that was really, no, good it's, one. I don't think, I actually don't think it is as good as Ian's. It's a really <laughs> famous quote and I don't think it's as good as the one Ian. Right? Yeah, that was hey great. Joe. Hey Joe. Yeah. Do you want me to read it? You have it memorized? It, yeah, I'm sure he does. What? Not necessarily. Joe, if you tell me what the quote is. Well, well, I, I kind of want you to just like take a stab at it and like, see if you, see if you get it. <laughs> like, like, let's be real. There's only like three quotes I was going to choose from this. Is it tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow? Yeah, it's tomorrow ah! and tomorrow and tomorrow. <laughs> Is that the quote? That's the, yeah, that's well, the quote. Those that's three words. All of it. It's, it's a, a little speech, Nick. <laughs> Oh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> What's your victory quote? Oh, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Wow. I would job. like to, I can do a Shakespeare quote. Toil, toil, gobbles in trouble. <laughs> 
<laughs> toil, toil, gobble, gobble. I'm a witch. Uh, all right, Nick. So as you might suspect um, from the trajectory that we last left Macbeth upon, things go poorly for him after a while. And, <laughs> and like things, week. yeah, things like just the world falls apart behind him. And toward the end of this play, Macbeth is, he has a moment um, on stage where he's reflecting on kind of the futility of life and like kind of what his life that was once so promising has become. And he says, Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty pace from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. (laughs) And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Nothing.